Stafford dives in for the touchdown. Did he get it? Yes, sir, he did. Touchdown, Detroit Lions. You're listening to The One Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of The One Pridecast. I'm Tori Petri, your host for this official Lions podcast. We are now into week two of OTAs for the Lions. And this week, we're going to talk a little bit more football. We've had a little bit of fun conversations with players and whatnot in recent weeks. But this week, we are breaking down what is happening on the field. And for that, I am joined by Tim Twentyman from DetroitLions.com. And drumroll, please. Michigan Sports Hall of Fame inductee Mike O'Hara. Guys, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for not saying indictee. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your line now? For now. <laughs> well, congratulations, Mike. We are super happy for you, and it is well-deserved. Really excited to see that uh, you were selected. Well, I appreciate that, but throughout my career, I've been blessed with people who did a lot of work, including Tim here, who does 90% of the writing for our department. So, Tim, thank you. <laughs> He's just being very modest. He this is. is he this is. is what, how many How many years have you been covering the team, Mike, now? 40, is this 44? Well, I started full-time in 1977 on the beat. I did some sidebars before. Yeah. In fact, in fact, my first column for the Detroit News was written from Vietnam on a USO <laughs> visit by Greg Landry, then the quarterback of the Detroit Lions. So... Really? Yeah, I can honestly say we were ahead when we both left. <laughs> oh, there you go, folks. That's Michael O'Hara. That is crazy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, uh, Mike, you've done a wonderful job covering the Lions, and I think you know more about the Lions than anyone I know. All right, let's stop talking about Mike now. Here we go. Yeah. Why would you want to do that? <laughs> Tim, when you get inducted into the Hall of Fame, we can say these nice things about oh, you, but until boy, then, that is never gonna happen. we get to say them about Mike. But we are here to talk about football, and we're going to talk about what's happening with the Lions right now. We've only seen one open practice of OTAs up until the point of us recording this podcast. So, gentlemen, what stuck out to you about that practice? Well, it's hard. It's guys running around in shorts, you know, and a helmet. And you see, one, they've had three practices. But I think, you know, naturally you gravitate to, you know, some of the new guys that are here when you're talking about the free agents. Unfortunately, you know, Trey Flowers, Justin Coleman are still kind of working themselves back from injury. So, you know, they weren't part of the open practice, along with guys like Kenny Galladay, Marv Jones Jr. You know, there was a good group of kind of core guys that didn't participate. But we didn't see it. Look, take a look at the rookies, Mike. And, you know, I think one guy that impressed me was Hawkinson, made a couple, um, you know, diving catches in the end. So was there anyone else in that group of, of rookies that kind of jumped out to you? Well, Hawkinson was one. And, and really the things, that you, the things that can stand out for you are when the ball in the air, the people who throw the ball, catch the ball, and run with it because you can see the skill in terms of, like, offensive linemen and all that. It, they all look great. They all look big. Linebackers all look like they're training for the you know Olympic decathlon at this, this time of the year. But I agree with Hawkinson, just a natural ball catcher. He really is. He's just got, you know, I'm, I'm making, I'm demonstrating this <laughs> here on the radio. But just put your hands out in front of you and catch the ball that way. That that allows him to move immediately after making the catch. He doesn't cradle the ball, catch it against his body. And I thought that stood out. Uh, some of the other guys, it, it's hard to say. I thought, you know, Ty Johnson, the sixth round draft pick out of Maryland, looked really Speed. fast. Speed, speed, real fast. I mean, he had another gear. And, you know, I think another thing for me was um, Tavai. I didn't realize he was that big. You know, you you see the dimension, 6'2", 250, you know, and and everything that they said after the draft in terms of him fitting kind of their profile linebacker. But when you stood next to him, he was a big guy. And, you know, put together. You know, I don't mean big like 250, like 250 
a tight 250 and you know he could run too and so you know i think that was a little bit impressive too now obviously you know he ran with the second team and so he's got to you know develop and um you know earn himself a role but i think just physically gifts size speed it looked like he fit that first open practice yeah when you talk about being big I, an old assistant coach once told me about just made an observation about one of his linemen and he said there ain't no loose on him in other words, he's built and he's, you know, tight and all that, really strapped together. And Dominican Sue was that way, too, Absolutely. when he first got yep. here. You know, he was 300 and whatever it was. 305, 305. But like there that. was, you know, that was a flat stomach, yep. 305. I mean, he was just built muscular. Tavai similarly built. There's not a lot of no. – there's there isn't a lot of pudge on no, Tavai. No, Let's just put it that way. Walks, yeah. <laughs> I agree with that, absolutely. And, you know, there's some other – it's hard to tell. You know, Will Harris, I think, showed a little bit, but – Really, those are the guys that are easiest to get sort of a, uh, an early line on just because they handle the ball and you can see who catches it and who doesn't and who looks comfortable. Well, in addition to this being our first chance to see the rookies, really, we're also seeing Daryl Bevel's offense in action for the first time. We got to hear from him uh, earlier this week about what he plans to implement here. What sticks out to you about what this offense might be this year? Well, I think important thing, and I think he said all the right things in terms of, look, I'm not going to come in here and this is my offense and these players have to run it. You know, I, he said that he's going to tailor his offense to kind of what some of these guys do best. Now, look, he's got common core principles. He wants to run the football. Eight of the 12 years he was an offensive coordinator before he got here, his teams were ranked in the top 10 in run percentage. So that's going to be a big part of it. But he also wants to make big plays down the field in the passing game. Look, he coached Brett Favre, Russell Wilson. Those are guys that make plays down the field in the passing game. And so, you know, I think he's going to tailor a little bit. He said it's not going to look like it did in Seattle because he's got different players than he had in Seattle. I think that's the right approach to it what do you think Mike I agree with that too but there's another uh, component in this too and and it, it's it's what Daryl Bevel wants but it's also what Matt Patricia wants and there's a certain way that Patricia wants to play football and I think if you could sum it up into one into one word which you can't but if you could it would be control control the line of scrimmage control the game defensively control the clock offensively control penalties control mistakes all of that he wants he really, he would like a game probably to last, get a possession, start the one minute mark and hold it the rest of the game if he could. Yeah, and I think part of that goes with obviously carry on in his Absolutely. second year. There's yep. a lot um, you know, expected of him, but also the upgrades they made to the tight end position yep. too. You know, that's another way to control the ball. You control the middle of the field. You control the edges on the run game. And Bevel talked about really being impressed with this tight end group, how they've really invested a lot of resources and have upgraded it. Um, via with the group they had last year and, and I think that's going to be a big component too. One of the things I ob observed in that open practice, they did like a, a red zone kind of goal line drill against the defense using just all of their tight ends in different roles, H-backs and in all their different spots and I had never really seen that before. It kind of it lends me to think that that tight end position is going to be really important. Red zone, third down, other areas of the field. Yeah, I saw another another play in the seven or eleven on eleven and and seven on seven. I think it was. I'm sorry. And T.J. Hawkinson, the rookie tight end, was wide split split wide. He was the widest receiver in that formation. So, you know, a lot of that. You know, we had an open session with the uh, with the assistant coaches this week, and I spent part of it with Chris White, the tight ends coach, and. You know, we we're looking at an extreme makeover at the tight end position this year, and it's even more extreme, I think, than we thought, because they've got four new guys in, and it would not surprise me if all four made the roster, and that would be, you know, Jesse James, the first veteran free agent they signed, the second one, Logan Thomas, in the second wave, uh, the first round pick, T.J. Hawkinson, and then the seventh round pick, remember this name, folks, Isaac Nauta, they call him Ike, 
kid out of Georgia, seventh-round pick. Uh, Chris White said he had the best hands of any tight end in this year's draft. Where does that leave Michael Roberts? Well, like you said, he's, he likes what he's done in the offseason, but I still look I still think look at him with, th- what is it, 13 career catches in mm-hmm. two years yeah. and penalties, drops, missed assignments, and always just and, – and, and, and injuries. So I think he's got a chance, and, it, and like uh, Chris White said, he'll get every chance to prove that he can make the roster, but he's got to prove it. Definitely a position group to watch. Now something that we saw – out on the field during OTAs while we're talking about offense was that offensive line shuffling around a little bit. Frank Ragnow playing at center, Graham Glasgow playing over at right guard, Kenny Wiggins at left guard. Do you think we see that change stick through training camp or is that something that they're just trying out for minicamp? Well, I think they're going to move the guys around, but if I were to guess right now, I would guess day one training camp, Frank, Frank Ragnall's playing center. You know, I think Matt Patricia talked about the kind of size, uh, length, athleticism that Graham Glasgow gives them at 6'4", 310 pounds, the ability to get to the second level, move a little bit. And look, they drafted Frank Ragnall to be a center. Now, he played guard at Arkansas, but he was the number one center coming out. He was the second interior lineman graded by you know pro football focus coming out of that group behind the kid from um, Quentin Nelson out of uh, Notre, Notre Dame, Dame yeah, sure. to the Colts, who was a uh, you know rookie All Pro, and so I think that's the position where they kind of really liked Frank, where they fell in love with Frank was playing center. So you know I think one it gives them some versatility because we know Frank can play guard. He's sure. going to try to play some center too. I think that's where they see him. And so if I were to guess, Mike, maybe you see it different, but I see Frank at center to start training camp. They'll see where it goes. But Kenny and, and Graham are probably the two guards. I think just the fact that he was uh, he was at center with the first open practice, uh, uh, there are pictures of him and video of him on the website playing center. I would say the first regular season game in Arizona, he'll be the center. There you go. All right, so we should read into this a little bit more. Sometimes in the offseason there are things that, you know, they just switch guys around just to see what works and what doesn't and what sticks. But this might be something that we see more of later on. And I, I think this, I think, you know, Mike made a good point there. I think when you go to the first OTA practice, when you start the spring, this is what the coaches envision it looking like. Now, obviously, competition dictates maybe things change. But day one, you go in there and you're thinking, hey, this is kind of how I see things. This is who's going to play quarterback. Carryon Johnson played a lot of first-team reps at, at wide receiver. Obviously, he's your guy. And some of the defensive things, you know, and the alignments they made, I think you just kind of set it up like, here's kind of what I'm thinking. We'll see if it changes, but here's what I hope kind of happens. And so, you know, that's my take. Yeah, that. I agree. I don't think just, they just did it out of for just for, let's just try this today. No, that's something they've been thinking about. And, you know, look. We can say that they drafted uh, drafted Ragnow as a center, played center. Well, they drafted Glasgow as a center too, so didn't have any qualms about uh, moving him. And I think his size alone would would help him play right guard too. He's got long arms. He's got that one of his one of uh, Glasgow's strength is his ability the the hands and the punch and all that, and that helps you line up against tackles. How hard do you think it will be for a second year player to take over that center position where you are? you know, making calls up there and you have a lot more responsibilities than you are playing guard. Well, I think for Ragnall, he said it's one of the things he liked about playing center because you're sort of like in control. But he also said in Bevel's offense, there's a lot of communication. It's almost like having five centers out there. I think that's a little extreme. You know, somebody's got to, there's got to be one voice to start out with. But I, 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 I think the fact that everybody's learning a new offense puts him in really in the same footing Uh, more than if he was like a rookie with a bunch of 10-year veterans and a coordinator had been there all that time.
Well, I think Frank's a smart guy, too. Sure. You know, I think he can pick it up. He obviously did it in college. And I think one of the things you look at at the center position is, well, when you're playing guard, I mean, you're going to be matched up against some of the Aaron Donalds one-on-one. That's just how it works. I think at center, you can control a little bit. Now, when you're playing the three, four teams, you have a nose lined up in the zero technique right above you. I mean, that's one-on-one, man-on-man. But I think at center, you can maybe be the help guy sometimes. I don't think you face as many one-on-one battles with some of the elite tackles. And so I think you can help a guy out that way as well, playing center, and, and you can kind of dictate some of the matchups that he sees. And also, I don't know what this means, but these were two of the most durable guys on, on the team last year, Ragnow and, and, and Glasgow. They both played every offensive snap except one. And it was kind of a fluke for Ragnow. He lost a shoe or yeah, something Yeah, he had a like shoe. That. He had a Zion <laughs> Williamson shoe malfunction for one play. And it was funny. I talked to him after the season. Yeah. And he was mad because – you know, the NFL puts out a list of guys, kind of like their Iron Man list of guys right. who played every single snap. And Frank was really kind of upset that he missed that because of a shoe malfunction. And so, you know, guys guys look at that kind of stuff. I'd be mad, too, if a shoe cost me my name on that list. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ragnar, or with Glasgow, I think it was one snap as well. I think he just got dinged up for a snap. Frank had to move over take a snap so we can't say frank doesn't have any experience at center guys he took one snap there last year he has nfl experience at center just a second guys i watched every snap i didn't miss one okay make sure you visit DetroitLions.com for the latest in lions offseason news analysis access and more lions insider tim 20 men along with lions columnist michael harrow break down every aspect of otas as football season approaches DetroitLions.com, your home for everything Detroit Lions. All right, well, you guys mentioned it earlier. The assistant coaches spoke with the media this week, got to have some sit-down conversations with those guys. What stood out to you about those talks? Well, I know Mike – actually, I'm going to refer this to Mike because Mike was sitting down with the linebacker coach, Al Golden. Oh, yeah, sure. And I was behind him, and I saw Mike just feverishly taking some (laughs) notes here when he started talking about Tavai. So, you know, and I thought some of the stuff – he said about Tavai was interesting. I know, Mike, you wrote about it. Was that one that kind yeah, of – Yeah, that was one of them. You know, he really – obviously I wanted to talk about Tavai for a reason, but he really talked about the other guys. But he just – what he said was and, – and I think we've seen this now and under Matt Patricia's is now in his second year. He has a profile of the players he likes. And a lot of this goes back to, look, there is what they call this tree, a coaching tree. And the coaching tree – for Bill Belichick, which gets passed down to Matt Patricia, starts with Bill Parcells. And he had a certain profile for the players at certain positions. Like he liked linebackers who were 6'4", you know, 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", big guys who weighed 250 pounds. Someone once asked uh, Parcells why he didn't take a player at some position. I forget what it was. But it was like a 5'9", 170-pound slot receiver, something like that. And Parcells said, if you make an exception, that's what you'll have. A team of exceptions and so that's why he had a profile for what he liked now there are some exceptions obviously but Tavai fits that you know look Devin Bush nothing against Devin Bush but he's 5'11 235 Tavai is 6'2 250 255 long arms you know big wide thick body and that's what that's what stood out with him plus he has the athleticism and the length and the reach to go with it and so as Al Golden said he called him a force multiplier in other words you can because of his size, you can put him at different spots, and all of a sudden he said, you have four playing six, meaning four players who can fill six positions. It gives you terrific flexibility in that unit. Wow. I feel like... We got schooled right there. I, I know. I, well, as one of my peers, Einstein used to... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> 
I think maybe one other one for me that I thought was interesting was I, you know, I sat down with Brian Stewart, the uh, uh, defensive backs coach, and I, if you know Brian, he doesn't get excited a whole lot. He's a pretty yeah. calm demeanor right. guy, you know. But you know, we we started talking about the safeties and asking him about some of the guys that he has at the safety position. You could tell he kind of perked up in his seat a little bit. He even used the word excited, um, and and so I, you know, I think that was interesting. I think one of the things they really wanted to do with that group, and I don't include the cornerbacks with that too, is add some length. Um, and some size, guys that can tackle. And so I think when you look at the safety position now being able to run that kind of heavy nickel package using three safeties, I mean, they've got Will Harris, who they draft in the third round. Quandre Diggs obviously has, has emerged as a really good um, kind of dual safety, can play either role. Obviously, um, Tracy Walker was, was impressive as a rookie. You've got Tavon Wilson. He's played in this league for seven years. There's a couple others in there that have experience too. And so when you look at that safety position, you know, they obviously have to replace Glover Quinn, who was a terrific leader, a good player for a long time in this football team. I thought Glover maybe lost a little bit of a step last year. And so now you're going to put some young talent, some some guys with size, some length, some speed into that position, some versatility, be able to do some different things with that heavy nickel package and, and some of the other packages they might deploy with that. And then, look, you added some size at cornerback with the fifth-round pick out of Penn State, Oriarie. Oruarie. You always say Oruarie. the best. <laughs> Amani. Well, you guys, as long as you can spell it, I'm the one who yeah. has to say it most of the time. <laughs> you know, and Rashawn Melvin, I think he stood out to me at least a little bit. I don't know about you guys, but just with his size at the OTA practice, he's all of 6'2 and 200 whatever pounds he is. So, look, you add that length at cornerback. You add some versatility at safety. Now you can do some different things, some different packages on the back end. And Brian Stewart seemed pretty excited about the possibilities that that might present to them this year as well. Yeah, and one other thing, I, a guy I sat in with for a while was John Bonamega back as the special teams coordinator. He was here in 2014, the year the Lions went 11-5. and five. Then he took the head job at Central Michigan. He said it was one it was one itch he wanted to scratch was be a head coach, and he got his chance. At, and it worked out for a while at Central. Then just happened to come back when the Lions were in transition at that uh, at that staff position. He's back as the uh, as the, as the uh, special teams coordinator. And think about this: he comes back inheriting a Pro Bowl kicker, Matt Prater, a two-time Pro Bowl uh, long snapper in Methuselah, and. Uh, <laughs> A terrific punter in you know in in, in, uh, Sam, Martin. Uh, in, in Sam Martin and then all pro rookie return man in Jamal Agnew who you know got hurt last year so talk about coming back with basically a pad hand although under new rules on the kickoff so there's some things that he's got to adjust to too but it was interesting listening to him just sort of being reinserted you know into his old spot. I sat in on that session as well and I thought one of the interesting things with him too was that he's a different coach coming back as an assistant, having been a head coach, meaning that, you know, he realizes what it takes or what it means to have really good assistance under you because you've got so much to deal with as a head coach. You've got so much on your desk. And he said, you know, really being a good assistant coach is about taking stuff off the head coach's desk. And yeah. I think that was interesting that he now has that perspective sure. being on the other side of it. And he said, look, I don't, you know, I, I want Matt Patricia to see the finished product or, or, you know, not have to be along the process as much, you know. So yeah. let him, you know, let me do more work to, to, to kind of get the finished product there to put on his desk to get his approval. That way he can focus on some other things as well. Just about being a better assistant coach, I thought that stuff was kind of interesting as yeah. well. Yeah, and Al Golden's experience as a head coach, I think, has helped in that regard too. He coached tight ends here for a year and then and went over the other side and linebackers too. I'll tell you one thing that stood out to me, and this was a – 
during practice and then at the very end was it, that it didn't stand out. <laughs> the players ran because because of mistakes. They ran during football practice? My God, you know, they ran. And then they ran gassers after practice. What? Yeah, shocking. And nobody took notes. At football notes practice, or said they had to run? Or, you know, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I can't believe it. I'm as stunned as you were. That's... I never quite understood the furor over it last year. I never understood that whole thing. But there was, so there was. Yeah, yeah, there was. But Yeah, the players ran. Oh, my God. Well, here's what I want to know. Are you going to tell Muehlbach that you called him Methuselah? Well, after he's been around a while. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I loved that one. That was a good one. That was a good one. Well, guys, uh, we have three more weeks here of players being in the building and actually being out on the field. We'll see an OTA practice this week, then the players get to mandatory minicamp, and then another week of OTAs before they're done for the summer. We've seen one week so far. What should we look for in the next couple? Well, I'd like to see some of the guys that are you know dealing with injuries maybe start to get back and in the mix, see where they fit, um, how they look. Um, you know, again, it's still running around in shorts and helmets, and so, you know, I think you have to take that with a grain of salt when you talk about a guy looking good or a guy making a diving catch or, you know, this guy picking off a pass. I mean, there's no pads, leverage, strength, all that kind of stuff that comes with playing with pads. So, you know, the real thing is when they get to um, training camp for me, but there are some things that you can see where guys fit, what kind of shape they're in, who's playing where, and and what coaches are kind of thinking how this thing's all going to play out. So those are things I'll continue to look for. Yeah, and also avoiding injuries because like every third or fourth day in the offseason, you see some good players gone out for the year, running a route, backpedaling, whatever, and some kind of tissue injury, and he's he's done done for the season. What I want to see, and look, these OTAs and all that, this is voluntary, but minicamp is mandatory and get fined heftily for not being here. have a couple of guys with contract issues, uh, Darius Slay and Damon Harrison Sr. I want to see if they show. You know, that's and then if they do, they do. If they don't, they don't. I mean, personally, it doesn't matter to me, but I just want to see if they show up for the mandatory minicamp. And both guys are under contract for a couple Correct. years too. Yeah. So I, you know, the leverage is obviously you know at the team. But to your point, we'll see. We'll see if where, they show where, yeah. where that where that lies. Sure, that'll be an interesting storyline leading into minicamp. Certainly. All right. Well, plenty of things to watch for still as we kind of soak in these last few weeks before the drought of nothing football related happening in in the end of June and all throughout July. That's so, golf uh, season, Tori. I know. I it's know. Golf it's season. golf it's okay. season, but it's a football drought. So it's golf season. I know. Yeah, we could I all get, get together every day, you know, and just kind of <laughs> hear and talk about the drought if you like, or we can go on vacation. <laughs> well, there are options. There are options. But for our listeners out there, I think. Uh, They'll be feeling they'll be feeling the absence of football, even if they are. Go play golf, golf. guys. Go play golf. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much for breaking down the first week of OTAs with me. Make sure you guys, as listeners, stay tuned to DetroitLines.com because we will have all the coverage of everything that happens in the next few weeks right there.